BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Lore Hammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. Hey everybody, I'm your host Mark. Thanks for joining me. And today our guest special is Ray Way. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing, Mark? Very good. Uh, I'm excited to be here and read some more. You, you ever get in those up and down hobby times where you're like completely unmotivated to do anything, to pick up books, to pick up tools, whatever. I, I'm on the flip side of that. I'm super motivated. So I'm excited to talk some 40K. Uh, just bicker. Yimmer For sure. I have, I have a similar concept where I always want to talk, but other people are in their downtimes. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to talk to my girlfriend about it. She is so nice and she smiles and she's cute. But, uh, you know. Uh, my wife's <laughs> the same way. I talk. I tried to explain to her Angron, and she was like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> so you're saying a guy named Angron is angry? Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> cool. Well, we're here to share something that you have written. You want to tell us a little bit about what you have for us? Yes, I wrote a Space Marine chapter lore, and it is known as the Wolves Luminous Chapter, and they are as heretical as it sounds, a successor of a traitor legion. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, interesting. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be some space wolves, but oh, interesting approach here. Let's see how No, fuck the space it. wolves. <laughs> fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah, fuck space wolves. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's dive in and see where this hell takes us. For sure. So I will start. <clears throat> the Wolves Luminous. Battle cry. Glory for the living, honor for the dead. A common battle cry spoken prior to a battle. Let the galaxy remember the Emperor's light. Chapter Warmaster, Osiris Ishtar. The Wolves Luminous are a Space Marine chapter of the Ultima founding. 
yet do not possess any Primaris Marines. The Wolves Luminous first arrived in the battlefields of the Indominus Crusade, primarily directing their forces around the Great Rift. They are specialists in the spearhead assault, striking with overwhelming force and committing all their efforts and firepower to tear at the throat of the enemy. While the origin of the, of the chapter's gene seat is yet unconfirmed, inquisitorial investigations points to the 16th Legion, the Sons of Horus. This chapter has since been declared excommunicatus traitoris. Very cool. <clears throat> okay, so so far I'm liking how you've done it. Like, while I might not like the whole Primaris and like Call and him having all the gene seed, it's out there. It's happened. I like how you've actually yeah. implemented using the, the Luna Wolf gene seed. And then I also like that they were declared traitorous as soon as yeah. it was confirmed. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even confirmed. It was speculated. And they were like, nope, <laughs> can't take risks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, so it's not just going to be complete crazy crap. Okay, let's go into it a little further. History. Sure. Abandoned and left to die. The Wolves Luminous arrived in the galaxy at some point during the Indominus era. Arriving on a number of battlefields across Imperium Nihilus, particularly focusing along the Great Rift, battlefields where the Wolves Luminous take part in are known to be where fighting seems to be the sickest. While most assume the Wolves Luminous to be a chapter formed with the Ultima founding, their lack of Primaris Marines point to the contrary. In reality, the Wolves Luminous are closer to a second founding chapter as they trace their origin back to the Unification Wars on Holy Terra and the Great Crusade itself. During the period of time known as the Great Crusade, the Luna Wolves were the most predominant and fierce of the Legio Astartes. In the time leading up to the mo monumental moment that was the Istvan III atrocity, the Primarch Horus would send a number of his legion's most loyal companion companies into some of the most hostile and devastating war zones. The intention was to reduce the total number of loyalist elements within those companies, using the mass loss of Astartes' life as a rallying point to turn any surviving loyalist marines with, within the legion against the Emperor. On one such campaign, the 39th Company, led by Judean Sepicus, and the 61st, led by Osiris Ishtar, around 1,800 marines, would be sent far into the galactic southwest West on a joint mission to help Mechanicus' forces. Reportedly having discovered the men of Iron Fortress, they were now locked in brutal war of attrition and needed reinforcements. With these two companies lacking battle honors and considered a weak point, this was meant to be a chance for the two companies, most of whom still used outdated power armor at, uh, to prove themselves and bring honor to their legion. Unknown to the Imperium forces, this world was not actually a Men of Iron's fortress, but was a reality in reality a tomb world of an unidentified Necron dynasty. Despite the best efforts of the Sons of Horus and Mechanicus forces, even the minimalist Necron force still managed to devastate their ranks. The only saving grace, for whatever reason, was that there these was that these machine enemies seemed to uh, move progressively slower the longer this war went on. Their weapons shear through our armor layer by layer, atom by atom. We cannot win, and we can barely hold our own. Wish it that Horus himself was beside us in this war. Our only salvation is, is that these abominable intelligence grow slower with each passing battle. If only we had the time and mountain power to hold on long enough for them to slow their near motionless, to slow, uh, long enough for them to slow to near motionless. That that would make our job easier. Dudian Sepicus 006 M31 speaks to his fellow captain Osarius 
on the overwhelming force before them. After months of relentless trench warfare, the decimated Sons of Horus and Mechanicum forces managed to punch their way into the heart of the Necron tomb, securing the victory. Unfortunately, the Imperial forces both felt that the victory was temporary and that without further military support, the world could not maintain compliance. Seeing no other choice, the remaining forces sought to rejoin the expeditionary fleet only to discover that the entering warp, or after entering the warp, that it had become an inconceivable mass of storms, churning energies and ravenous forces. The Rune Storm. Cool. <clears throat> yes. Lost and forgotten. Lost within the warp and struggling to withstand the ever-shifting tides and currents, the space marines would begin to suffer what could only be called nightmares. In the brief periods of rest the marines would indulge, they would suffer twisted and nightmarish visions foretelling the fate of their legion and the Imperium itself. They witnessed moments of terrible consequence, the betrayal of their cousins, the death of Sanguinius, and the one who killed him. And finally, the Emperor being placed atop the golden throne of Holy Terra. After 16 months of endlessly being dragged throughout the Immaterium, the sanity among many of the Astartes began to waver. With many of the sons of Horus feeling unfounded sensations of abandonment, regret, and hatred. It was in this low point that, 30, that 39th Company Captain Judian Sepicus felt a minor tug at the back of his mind and the promise of escape from this tomb drifting endlessly in the Sea of Souls. This voice spoke to Judian, offering him the chance to lead his brothers again on uncountable battlefields and achieve endless glories. And for an Astarte without hope and no true glories to his name, what more could he ask for? And, as if struck by a contagious madness, more than a full quarter of the remaining sons of Horus had pledged themselves to Judian, who at this point had begun to amass a cult following. These followers of Judian began to slaughter the defenseless mortal crew and even the Mechanicum and Astartes forces who tried to stop them. The fleet became embroiled in a civil war all its own, and those who supported Judian, feel Judian feeling that he, whatever force motivated him, was their only means of escaping the warp. While loyalist forces rallied around Osiris, who, who although younger was more tempered and in control of his own emotions. Madness among brothers. You have given into hysteria and madness. The warp has twisted your minds into thinking these concerns we all carry are more real than they are. We are lost. We cannot find the Astronomicon and our supplies are near non-existent. And yet you think murdering our allies will solve this? You are mad, Judean. Our brothers know it, I know it, the Emperor on Terra knows it. You dare speak of that corpse to me? To me? After all I've given? All I've sacrificed? This, this is how he repays me? Judean roared, acid spit spilling out of his, out and turning to flames. I know you hear me, corpse Emperor. I know you see how many of us died for you, and you will let us suffer here? Lost and forgotten, I will suffer this dishonor no longer. The Civil War became a minor reflection of one of the many battle brothers witnessed in their dreams. Eventually, however, the war grew close to an end, with most of the traitors purged. All that was left for Osiris and his honor guard uh, was to face Judean. Unfortunately, in a single blow, Judean wiped out the honor guard, knocking all of them off their feet and killing most of them before beating Osiris to a bloody mess, shattering his power sword and tearing it into a storm shield in two, and tearing his storm shield in two. 
Judean stood before kneeling Osirius and prepared to deliver the final blow with his with his single massive mutated claw. But before he could end him, he froze, motionless. Shocked, Osirius would realize that uh, Lucius, one of his closest brothers, had not only survived the initial impact, but was in fact a psyker. His hand outstretched towards Judean and his eyes bleeding bright, bright red. It was at that moment Osirius forced himself to stand, using his fragment of his storm shield, and drove it deep into Judean's roaring mouth and out of his skull. With the number of legionnaires now less than 300 in total, nearly, with nearly half turning traitor, the remaining sons of Horus had accepted their fate, or so they assumed. The last surviving astropaths screamed with their last bit of strength. They found the astronaut. Uh, the last surviving astropaths screamed with the last bit of strength. They found the Astronomicon again, and when they emerged from the chaotic mess that was the warp, the remaining sons of Horus discovered that the galaxy they had found in, found themselves in, was not the same one they had left. Okay, cool. So this is like really coming back. So I said at the beginning that whole little stick about call, but it's kind of cool that you use that as kind of a little bit. And then there's also all this background layered on top that I'm sure they're not really telling anyone. Yeah. They're, yeah, it's it's effectively that there there's there's a lot there's more that like I said I had to cut out because again <laughs> there was a lot that I had to cut out. <laughs> I I think it's all it's all making sense. I'm really liking how it's kind of laying on to each other. Um, I also like the thought of just like thirty k thirty k marines seeing demons for like the first time or like you know actually killing their battle brother. It's you know it's classic. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts about reading one of the Horus Heresy books was the first time they see demons are like, what the hell are these things? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, cool. Yes. <clears throat> Imperium Nihilus. Emerging from the warp, the Sons of Horus worked to piece together the state of the Imperium, the Imperial cult, and the current state of the galaxy, including the Great Rift, which divided it in two. Alongside the recovery, uh, alongside the discovery of the current date and imperial records, the legionaries were shocked to discover that the light that allowed them to escape was not, in fact, the Astronomicon, but simply the light of real space made visible by the opening of the Great Rift. <laughs> oh, that's fucking sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the concept of the Great Rift, so I knew I had to include it in yeah, this lore. That's sweet. <clears throat> this revelation and odd coincidence led many among the moral crew to see their own beliefs in the imperial faith justified seeing this as a sign of divine intervention renaming themselves the wolves luminous chapter they properly made their appearance in the galaxy taking part in a number of war zones including the fragment across the fragmented imperium nihilus striking with overwhelming force and extreme brutality but shockingly not before offering their targets the opportunity to surrender Currently, the chapter has been seen cutting a, a path towards Vigilus, the last known location of Abaddon the Despoiler, engaging in any battles they get that get in their way, but never straying too far from their main goal, cutting out the enemy's throat. Let the galaxy remember the Emperor's light. We fight today for the Imperium of Ages long forgotten, and for the future we aspired for humanity. We are his legion. We are his wolves luminous. Osiris Ishtar, after accepting the role of chapter master of the Wolves Luminous, circa M41999. Sweet. Uh, very cool goal. So it sounds like they want to kill Abaddon, which makes sense. Like, Horus is dead. Kill the next biggest fucking traitor on our side. <laughs> Basically, yeah. 
because they see him as a huge disarm. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think like, yeah, every every army needs like that kind of constant goal that will never really be attained, but will always kind of be pushing him further into the story, opening up other story possibilities along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like Abaddon's like, I don't like Abaddon being as strong as he is because people like to put him against Gilliman. Mm-hmm. But like Abaddon's definitely a lot stronger than like, anyone in this chapter but they still they still want to they still want to fight him <laughs> yeah yeah for honor's sake <laughs> yeah cool all right <sighs> gene seed the gene seed of the wolves luminous is extremely pure and stable possessing all 19 of the original gene seed organs and all in excellent condition the gene seed retains the same degree of compatibility as those seen with the ultramarines and dark angels as well as as well as supports a fairly low rejection rate, though nowhere near that of the Blood Angels or Iron Warriors. The chapter's apothecaries take extreme care to make sure that the gene seed is harvested as soon as it reaches maturity, both to maintain their survival, as well as to allow their marines to fight unhindered, knowing that they carry future generations of Astartes within their chest. The Wolves Luminous have adopted the controversial rapid gene seed implantation when creating neophytes, a method that Sons of Horus learned from the Word Bearers and Night Lord Legions where within multiple gene seed organs are placed in the aspirant's body one at a time, similar in the first phase of implantation. This has been known to increase the likelihood of genetic rejection. However, the chapter sees the benefit of reducing the overall transition process as a worthy sacrifice. Okay, I got a couple questions about this one. Um, For sure. Was there ever any temptation to give them some type of gene seed defect just for being in the warp that long um maybe some i actually have yeah there's actually two flaws that i have coming up right here right after okay uh, okay so 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 i just read the official on paper story everything's working good excellent condition but yeah um... (laughs) don't worry about it super it's super it's super awesome yeah we're we're as pure as the blood angels and the dark angels don't worry nothing wrong here (laughs) i like that uh also the other thing you were saying uh rapid gene seed implantation is this like a real thing in 40k lore i'm not um there are two things that i've read on that were kind of contradictory when i was looked when i was reading some of the books and looking at some of the um with the codexes for Mm -hmm. uh the horus heresy game which says that the word bearers and night lords legions like ha- exploded in number like before okay. the heresy officially started and it and it implied they use rapid gene seed acceleration or implantation one two i can't remember sure which was implantation sure. yeah and i was like what the fuck is this like what what is it what is implant what is excel what is, how do they make <laughs> it so fast yeah yeah and yeah. like i scoured so much like wiki and everything i couldn't find anything except for like in one of the Horus heresy books they mention how the word bearers um use like a like they basically sped up their uh neophytes range by like because it takes like well like uh eight or ten years for like a neophyte to become a space where to get all their organs in yeah something like that yeah basically they like trim that down by like like six like five or six years because instead of putting in like oh now i put in the second heart <laughs> i put in the kidney it's hey let's put the kidney in and the eyes and, uh, <laughs> and the heart and it's, and it's basically like they shove in multiple organs at a time instead of like you know the more careful one at a time yeah, process. Yeah. Let a little bit of healing happen. Nah, yeah. I don't need that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I, I always like when, uh, you know, you can impl- include something like that where it's like this throwaway line. You didn't go too heavy on it, you know. Um, It's cool. I like it. 
Yes. <clears throat> I enjoyed writing it as well. Flaws. The visage of rage. The visage of rage is a genetic mutation brought on by the gene seed. Though, unlike most mutations that, that arrive due to the gene seed degradation, this mutation seems to originate due to its purity. The visage of rage is a mutation that seems to appear within 20% of the wolves luminous. Acting as a reminder of their, genes, of their gene father, those who suffer this mutation are known to take on a startling physical resemblance to Horus Lupercal. And those who see their armor, unarmored face feel any existing frustration, resentment, or anger explosively amplified. This mutation luckily has no effect on those who share the same gene seed. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty cool uh, little flaw. Yeah, it's basically, I took the concept of blanks where like you just, you just feel really uncomfortable around them. <laughs> yeah. And because, because blanks apparently have like no soul and because Horace's soul was like, you know, obliterated by the emperor. Ah. I basically had it where like those who share his like physical resemblance effectively, it's not, they don't have the benefits of a blank, but they all have the negative effects of a blank. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Like there's that tie there that's been severed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's such a cool concept. Yes. Also, I didn't write, but it works very. It, it has a su It's super effective to use Pokemon terms against Blood Angels for obvious <laughs> reasons. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> the curse of loyalty. The curse of loyalty is a genetic curse that all Marines within the Wolves Luminous possess. This curse instinctively draws Marines who share this gene seed together, like a pack of wolves, where the chapter gets its name from. However, like all packs of wolves, there must be an alpha. And as a result, the Marines who possess the gene seed of Horus feel, feel more comfortable, focused, and confident around those who not only share their genetic heritage, but possess a strong character and personality. This has caused an almost superhuman sense of loyalty and cooperation among the chapter. Unbeknownst to the Bal brothers, this curse is not limited to the Marines within their ranks. Hmm, interesting which I wrote specifically because they're going to fight Abaddon, and Abaddon is a Luna Wolves. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Huh. Okay. <clears throat> chapter Recruitment. The Wolves Luminous are a fleet-based chapter with no homeworld to call their own. For fear remaining in a single location for too long would guarantee their total annihilation, and therefore have never attempted to establish a permanent fortress on a planet. As a result, the chapter is forced to recruit from wherever it can, and to a point, is something the chapter actively supports. Furthermore, since the chapter's official formation, it has begun a rather aggressive and proactive recruitment method, recruiting almost exclusively from hive worlds, if at all possible. The Wolves Luminous use an unorth unorthodox method of recruitment, specifically because of how uh, transactional it is. Ambassadors are a select and respected chapter serf, who is selected to journey to a nearby hive world in search of potential aspirants. While en route, they will be bombarded with information of a particular hive world they are assigned to, including culture, political status, and especially the criminal underworld. Once they touch down on the world, the ambassador will quickly go to work embedding themselves into the culture and society of the world, making connections and underworld deals with anyone they can, all in hopes of reaching as many criminal networks as possible, often by making outrageously expensive deals and promises. Once they've established themselves, the process takes around one to two standard weeks. The ambassador has arranged a deal with more, uh, one or more of the world's local criminal warlords. He will present them with a deal, 
1,000 boys between the ages of 8 and 14 would be offered up for examination. In two standard weeks from the day of the meeting is made, the chapter will arrive in full and they will examine the stock provided, declaring that if any of the, them match their criteria, they will purchase that boy, exchanging the boy's weight in weapons, armor, and ammunition. However, for every criteria that the boy does not meet, they will cut the payment in half. Those prerequisites are that these boys must all meet in order for the criminal warlords to receive the payment, full payment is, the boy must be capable with the gene, compatible with the gene seed. The boy must be of the right age, and they must have already killed somebody. The reason these prerequisites were chosen was not ju wasn't just to the reason these prerequisites were chosen wasn't just to provide the chapter with a massive pool of candidates, but it was also to act as a way to weaken the criminal empires as a prerequisite forces them to get boys who are physically larger to maximize the overall payment, as well as boys who have already killed, thereby removing future or current gang members. Once a chapter arrives, the apothecaries and their successors will work tirelessly to test every candidate of the 1,000 boys, provided the genetic compatibility. And if they meet further prerequisites, they will be purchased. As the remaining candidates who are proven to be genetically incapable, half of them will be purchased, but only if they still meet both of the two prerequisites. The remaining candidates will be left on the world, being seen as unfit, and, as a result, leaving the criminal empire with the bottom of the barrel in terms of future recruits. Once the deal has been finalized, the payment has been exchanged, the chapter will depart in hopes that in the future, they can return to this world to make the same deal. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of like an interesting way to keep the to keep these like criminal empires in catch. Like, yeah, they just want to be rich and wealthy. And if you can make them that, they don't need to be smuggling their drugs or like whatever they're doing to get in trouble. Kind of makes yeah, sense. It yeah, exactly. Plus, Hive Worlds have, like, what, billions upon billions? Like, what's a thousand kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Okay. The Trials. Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. The Trials. Once an aspirin has been collected by the chapter, their training begins. Much like training regiments of other chapters, the Wolves Luminous seek to break their aspirins and build them stronger and better than before. And yet, another on orthodoxy of the chapter is the very human nature and connection that is formed between the serfs and the aspirants. As part of their training, each aspirin will be mentored and in a way parented by a serf of great renown and respect. While all aspirants are stripped of their names, it is the aspirants' mentors who provide them with their new name, much like a father naming his son. For the next year, the aspirant will be raised and trained by their human mentor, educating them in matters concerning politics and humanity. Finally, once the year of training is fulfilled, each and every one of the candidates will be retested for genetic compatibility, as physical and psychological trauma can help boost the likelihood. And it is those who pass a second test that are selected to become neophytes, and eventually full space marines. Those who fail the second test are not seen with shame or hatred, but rather are respected and even for even surviving this long, and are instead offered the opportunity to become a permanent member of the chapter as a serf. Do you go any more into this relationship between the chapter surf and the aspirant? I not not any not not in what I wrote. I took out a bunch. Okay, I I don't mind this concept. Was there a specific reason why you wanted to do it like this as opposed to like a regular space marine, uh, kind of taking on this more mentorship role in these early years? They just weren't good enough for um, a space marine. It was or what? 
it was basically to em a lot of the trials, like the first stages were actually meant to emulate Horus and the emperor. So okay. a lot of the Primarchs were like, a lot of the Primarchs are raised by like human fathers. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, so uh, one of the reasons the chapter does these things like emulate Horus is to try and like Horus turned traitor. Why did he turn traitor? Well, let's find out how, um, let's go through his life. Let's replicate the, the points in his life that he did. And if we can surpass everything or do everything that he did and we don't turn traitor, it's in a way kind of like redemption. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. rede redeeming their uh, gene father. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. No, yeah. that's cool. I, I really like that. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc foster ship as part of the trials of the wolves luminous after an aspired has been selected to become a neophyte he will be moved from his surf mentor to a veteran of the chapter this Marine becomes the foster brother and for the foreseeable period of time until they achieve the rank of full battle brother the neophyte will be left in the care of the veteran, who will train them as they see fit, and will measure them according to their own standard, in addition to receiving additional standardized training. As a result of their fostership, the veteran will be denied the ability to take part in their traditional combat role, and instead will only be allowed to take part in missions alongside the neophyte understudy. As part of their training, their foster brother will be in charge of administering a number of specialized and offered, often personalized challenges to the neophyte over the course of his transition into full space marine. While the foster brother does decide how and when these trials take place, the overall theme and method of success remain overall consistent. The aspirant is, made not, or is not made aware of that he has taken part in these challenges until he is either successful in the passing it and, or sorry, Aspirant is not made aware that he is taking part in these challenges until he is successful in passing it. The challenges are as followed. Tyrannicide, Famicide, Virocide, Viracide. Virocide? The last two I don't know how to pronounce, so I, I, you pronounced them perfect in my book. <laughs> good, good right answer. Tyrannicide. Hunt the Hunter. One of the trials the neophyte must engage in is the trial of the tyrant. This trial is one that the first this trial is one of the first a neophyte is expected to take part in. As it is, its completion is one of the most important lessons a neophyte can learn. In this trial, the neophyte must take part in the murder of a tyrant king, corrupt politician, or despot, with the purpose of being to witness the horrors of corruption and tyranny and to purge this corruption anywhere it may hide. When this trial is complete, the neophyte is expected to collect the head of their target so that it can be thrown to a massive pot filled with strong alcohols, old and polluted water, and anything else that might be edible. 
This soup is known as underhive stew and is traditional Chthonian gang delicacy. Fucking sweet. <laughs> yes. I another part is that they collect the heads, uh, like they collect the skulls, because when you boil, uh, when you boil a head, like for example, a cow, the skull, will, like all the meat will, will slide off the skull. So they yeah. collect these skulls as like a trophy to basically say like, yeah, I killed this many tyrants. I killed this many corrupt politicians. Yeah. I killed these many people. <laughs> That's so cool. Yes. I can go over the next one if you want. Yeah. <clears throat> Famicide. Challenge trial. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry. Another of the wolves luminous neophyte trials is the trial of Famicide. This trial is expected, is expected to be one of the first a neophyte should engage in. However, instead, it is often held in reserve for a foster brother to administer when he notices his neophyte becoming particularly prideful, arrogant, rebellious, or even hostile. The purpose of this trial works to break that aura of superiority that a neophyte will naturally develop as a result of their transhuman status and to help, to help them be reintroduced to the fear of debt and inadequacy. The neophyte is expected to face a powerful enemy unaided with a trial with the trial can only be considered successful if the neophyte fails to defeat the enemy and as a result can only be saved by the intervention of their foster brother. Following his failure, the neophyte must publicly shame themselves, forced to kneel before his fellow neophytes and their foster brothers. He will use his own combat knife to shave his head down to the scalp. The veterans who witness this humbling display take great care to not only count how many scars, but the size and depth that the neophyte gives themselves to witness their devotion and willingness to honor the chapter. That's a <clears throat> sweet trial, man. Such a cool concept. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know you're gonna lose it. In fact, if you win, you you're fighting you... somebody tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's literally like, oh, you you beat him. See that work war boss over there? <laughs> go go try him now. Go try him. <laughs> cool. <sighs> Hero side. Hero side. Oh, I can do it. It's okay. okay. You did two. I'll do two. Okay. Hero side. Dual trial. This trial is limited only to those who have failed the trial of femicide, as one intrinsically leads into the other. This trial is known as a trial of redemption among the neophytes and is highly admired as the temptation to take part in this trial and earn glory is overwhelming. This trial works nearly exactly as the trial of femicide where the neophyte must engage in, a, in sing, a single foe in combat. However, the context is modified to fit the new circumstances. Where the neophyte further, where the trial further differs is while the neophyte is unaware that he's being tested in the previous trial, in this case, they are explicitly told that they are engaging in the trial of redemption. Typically, this trial involves a neophyte and his foster brother journeying together to face an enemy of similar scale and ability for example, if an orc is what nearly killed the neophyte, an orc should be what the neophyte is sent to kill. During this trial, at some point, the foster brother must knowingly put himself in a dangerous situation, preferably against the target of the trial, so the neophyte can save their foster brother, not only repaying their life debt, but avenging their defeat and regaining their honor. <clears throat> to celebrate the completion of this trial, the neophyte will not only be honored, but in symbolic form of symmetry, their foster brother will shave their head bare. It is in this moment that the neophyte will learn that in reality, this, this ritual is not one of shame, but in fact, honor, respect, vulnerability, and in sharing in this moment, battle brothers can fully understand one another. Finally, the neophyte is honored with the, with the blood crown adornment. 
I'm really <clears throat> enjoying their uh, relationship here, the aspirant and the the veteran. Yes, I'm. I'm glad you are. <laughs> Vera side, exposure and knowledge to one's oneself trial. The Viricide trial is the last and most important trial a neophyte will engage in, as it is meant to symbolize Horace's moment of corruption, a moment the veterans of the chapter have theorized to be the point at which their gene father fell to chaos, as only after that fate, fateful, eventful, fateful event on Davin did Horace's personality change. And so, to int it intimidate this, uh, in what is that word? Fuck. Brain fart. <laughs> it's okay i'm also dyslexic sometimes uh, also to <laughs> imitate this event the neophyte will be laid bare onto the operating table where proportions of their blood will be drained and it's placed powerful poison sedative hallucinogenics and even blood uh and even the blood of chapter serfs whose themselves have been given incredibly potent alcohols the trial will see the neophyte confined to the singular room restrained their blood regularly being drained and exposed to all these potent chemicals that aim to break their body, will, and mind. The neophyte will be forced to remain in this torturous state for 16 days. However, if this wasn't bad enough, the neophyte will continuously be tempted by the apothecaries, onlookers, and even their fellow neophytes to give up and surrender. That they've gotten so far and that they can stop now. The only voice present that does not speak of temptations to... Uh, surrender is their foster brother yeah that's my boy who must yell and scream louder than any of the other voices declaring that they can succeed and that they're so close that they just have to hold on a little bit longer otherwise no aid is given and that it is up to the neophyte to hold on for the full 16 days as should any of them surrender beforehand and given to temptations they will be instantly killed for fear that they will fall to chaos fucking tight <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Chapter Cult and Culture The Wolves Luminous hold true and strong to their original heritage. To their original heritage as the Emperor's Lunar Wolves and Sons of Horus Lupical, despite the stigma and threats that are ever present. The Wolves Luminous are not ashamed of their Primarch and believe deeply that he was manipulated, led astray, or even outright controlled like some kind of puppet. And so, not only does the chapter seek to honor Horus, but also redeem him, displaying a modified version of the Lunar Wolf's heraldry. A white wolf crowned in golden sunlight, signifying that the chapter are the wolves of the brightest of suns. Mark of the Underhive Due to the Wolves Luminous tracing their origins back to the Lunar Wolves, and the crime-ridden worlds of Chthonia, the Wolves Lunas work to exclusively recruit from Hive worlds, or at least civilized worlds. Recruits are selectively chosen from the worst of these worlds have to offer, specifically because the chapter sees redemption as an extremely important aspect of life, and so sees recruiting the low lives and scum of these worlds as a redemptive experience. As a byproduct of this recruitment method, Gang tattoos, scars, and other signifiers of criminal heritage are not only present within the chapter, but outright supported. <laughs> That's funny. With these gang markings now giving a new life among the chapter, with these many tattoos actually being given to Marines to show and celebrate the mixed heritage of their squads, as well as tell a story of the Marines themselves. A few examples include Blood Drop, 
Blood drop tattoos are reserved for battle brothers who at one point in their career have killed another of their chapter. Each instance of fratricide awards the Marine a single blood drop tattoo, symbolic of Horace's murder of Sanguinius. Ooh, RIP. <laughs> a predatory beast. Tattoos depicting some form of predatory beast are awarded to battle brothers who have slain a particularly dangerous warlord or champion. Repeating accomplishments of this task will always reward the battle brother with a depicting a tattoo depicting the same beast. This has led to certain battle brothers earning nicknames related to that beast. Example, Little Crocodile, Murder Fang, etc. Broken Chains. Tattoos depicting broken chains are awarded to those who were integral in shattering an enemy's forces lying, line of defense at its weakest point. Swords and Weapons. Tattoos of swords and other forms of weapons are awarded to battle brothers who have reached the rank of sergeant and is usually placed above, above the primaris's heart. Or above the primary heart. Yeah, fuck primary. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> the blood crown. The blood crown is a top knot adornment that is placed on top of a Marine's helmet crest. This top knot is actually made from the blood-stained hair of the Marine's foster brother and is placed on top of the helm by that Marine themselves. Athing is a symbol that binds not only these two Balbras together, but the two generations of the chapter. Furthermore, this acts as a secondary unifying symbol among the chapter, as due to the chapter's shared origins as under Hive rejects, the top knot being a common hairstyle among Hive gangers. It acts as a reminder that they all are brothers in more than just blood. <clears throat> foster name. A foster name is one given to a neophyte only after their training under their foster brother is complete. While a neophyte's first name is always given to them by their mentor, uh, the chapter surf, who raises them for a year, a foster name can only be given by a foster brother and typically follows a Marine's name in subsequent order. Mentor name, foster name. The foster name is a naming style wherein the foster brother's name is used, followed by son. This, mean, this means that the connection between a neophyte and his foster brother, and while the naming convention does indicate a type of parental connection, that is not the case but rather is meant to emulate the turn of phrase of an elder or superior referring to their inferior or junior as son. Cool. Um, I like all these things that you're adding, man. You're really like doing a great job describing how they can be like so indoctrinated or like just so built up to being like focused, you know? Yes. <clears throat> Chapter organization. The Wolves Luminous are a non-Codex compliant chapter, though this is partly due to their circumstance and size and actual willingness. The Wolves Luminous instead model their chapter on a hybridized of the Codex Astartes and the Principa Bellicosa of the Great Crusade. The chapter command is organized around the War Master, the chapter's version of a chapter master. His authority and judgment may be absolute. He does, however, not lead alone. Assisting him is made up a council of captains, of the chapter's four battle companies, tasked with providing the Warmaster with his own personal beliefs and biases. They work to ensure the Warmaster is given a wide and diverse pool of opinions and experiences to draw from. Tasking and in, taking in, inspiration from the leadership structure of their founding legion, the companies of Luna Wolf, the Wolves and Luminous, organize themselves to ensure each company contains a roughly even amount of battlefield roles and experience levels. The purpose of which to ensure no singular bullet could wipe out the entire chapter of experienced Marines, as well as providing a newly uplifted scout's direct inspiration and examples to learn from. Despite their best efforts, however, companies can do 
can and do differ on the exact amount of individual individual ranks within them. For example, the first and second companies contain two thirds of the entire chapter's uh, veterans, while full half of the fourth company is only scouts. Similar to the chapter command and other chapters, each company captain of the Wolves Luminous is protected by an honor guard. The captain will choose those who will protect him personally, selecting them based on merit, skill, experience, and even personality, and normally from among the company's veterans. The honor guard will serve the captain closely, but their duty is not limited to only protection, as those Marines will also serve as their captain's representative, representative and voice among the company and chapter, should uh, he be able to do so, unable to do so personally. Each company is further subdivided into two battalions. Each one is led by a company of two chaplains, another the variation of the codex. Each chaplain is additionally supported by one of the captain's own honor guard, who, when not protecting him, will support the chaplain in leading the battalion. They are given a title lieutenants during the period of time, however, and are expected to act as second-in-command to the chaplain, providing him with their thoughts and expectations, as well as sharing with the chaplain their wishes of the captain. While the chaplain, chaplains serve as the leaders of the battalion for life, their lieutenant will not, going through periods of rotation, deciding the captain's at the captain's discretion. Okay, cool, cool. Specialist ranks. The wolves luminous possess a number of special specialty ranks as a byproduct of their small number and chapter organizational structure. The overarching theme of these ranks is meant to imitate an apprenticeship style of teaching for the chapter's more specialized and important roles, including chaplains, tech marines, apothecaries, and even librarians. Though their official presence in the chapter is still is still up for debate, given the chapter still holds true to the Council of Nikea. Each company supports a single squad of these types of specialty ranks, with their members chosen from select and promising neophytes, with the most promising of each squad chosen to be their master's successor. The remaining members will return to the company, but will use their knowledge they acquired during their apprenticeship to insist where they can. Reclaimers. Reclaimers are the apprentices of the company's tech marines. They are tasked with assisting them in all their duties, as well as falling behind the spearhead formation, recovering any weapons, armor, and ammunition they can salvage. Though they try not to avoid recovering power armor from fellow space marine chapters, unless explicitly ordered by their tech marine. Overseers. Overseers are chosen from the most rebellious and irredeemable of the chapter's neophytes in order to see the rebellious spirits tampered by the wisdom and experience of their chaplain masters. During the chaplain and his duties, the overseers work to ensure the, cha the chapter is free from infighting and rebellion, both off and on the battlefield, sometimes even eliminating troublesome and problematic Marines to protect the overall loyalty and cohesion of the chapter. But of course, such orders can only be given personally by the chaplain himself and further confirmed by the lieutenant. Avengers. Avengers are the understudy of the company's of the company's apothecary. They are tasked with assisting him in maintaining the overall physical health of the Marines. While in combat, the Avengers will follow their apothecary masters, escorting him across the battlefield, or if he is unavailable, using their own medical knowledge to save a wounded battle brother. Sticks brother. A Styx brother is the unofficial name given to a member of the chapter's recently reformed Librarius. Being the only psyker among the chapter's ranks, Lucius has been elected chief war librarian by Warmaster Osiris and has been left to act as the master of any further future psychers of the, cha the chapter may one day recruit. <clears throat> Much to Lucius's displeasure, given both he and Osiris, remember the Council of Nikea, 
and yet understand that the power of the warp is one that, despite the reservations, cannot deny its necessity and usefulness. Currently, only a single sixth brother exists, the Lion Lucius son, who, despite his prod prodigetical skills and talent, Lucius refused to teach beyond the most basic levels. Osirian Brotherhood. The Osirian Brotherhood are the personal guard of the War Master, clad in Terminator armor, and chosen from the veterans of each company. Cool. Uh, I like kind of how each one of your specialist ranks almost has this, like, helper squad. But it's not just, like, a helper squad. Like, the chaplains, they, there's a dual purpose. Yeah, the chaplains need help, but it also helps the, the aspirants, you know? It's like this dual full thing. Um, yes. The That's... single two librarians is also interesting, too. I like that little, like, holdover. Like, oh, we probably shouldn't be using them. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, I'm writing something for the lion where he's basically like, come on, teach me. Teach me, Lucius. You, yeah. saved, you saved the war master. And he's like, what if I don't, though? <laughs> yeah, what if I just don't? <laughs> Trust me, you'll be happier if you don't know. <laughs> Look what happened to Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Combat doctrines and specializations. The wolves luminous, much like their Luna wolves pre predecessors, operate in a spearhead formation wherein the overwhelming weight of numbers and raw strength are directed into a single focused strike. The intention of such a formation has always been the instant complete completion of the mission, destroying the enemy center and command structure in one frontal blow. While suddenly, while suddenly it is far from their strong suit, their greatest weakness is their tendency to overcommit to engagements and allow themselves to be left open to counterattacks and or drawn into large Long form and costly engagements. Mm -hmm. Chapter Holdings Planetary Domains. While the chapter is a fleet based force, recruiting almost entirely from Hive Worlds, a number of chapter ambassadors have been known to remain on Hive Worlds alongside a retinue of aspirant exiles, seeding the influence of the chapter's culture and influence. Often these individuals will join up with existing criminal empires or even form their own, creating a form of embassy for the chapter with the intention to assist in the acquisition of potential aspirants. There are currently three hive worlds that the Wolves Luminous have established these embassies on. Chapter Fleet The Wolves Luminous contain a relatively small fleet, only containing a few rapid strike vessels and two Grand Cruiser-class starships. The flagship of the Wolves Luminous is, the actual, uh, is actually the two Grand Cruisers, which together are given the name the Eyes of the Warmaster. Chapter Armorarium. The Wolves Luminous Armory is extremely limited and in some cases outdated by comparison to other chapters. The chapter contains only 50 suits of Cataphracti Terminator armor, a single heavy vehicle for each company, and no Dreadnought armor. Finally, the, chap the majority of the power armor used by the chapter is the outdated Mark III and IV, and most of the newest models of power armor in the chapter's possession being acquired from the bodies of the slain cousins. <laughs> Chapter Appearance. The Wolves Lunas have abandoned the sea green of their parent legion, instead returning to the bone white of their original identity as the as Luna Wolves. The armor trim of the power armor is gold to symbolize their loyalty to the golden throne, and their left knee pad is colored jet black to call back to when their war master Osiris was forced onto one knee by Judean, as well as to symbolize their traitorous heritage. As a result of this black knee, when a wolf's luminous kneel before a superior, they're expected to kneel with their left knee. 
symbolizing the desire to keep their traitorous heritage under control and unseen. The chapter badge is a gold wolf crowned in sunlight and is worn on the left pauldron. I love all the little like like little rituals and stuff they do. Like this little like kneeling on the left knee or whatever specifically. Kneeling on the black one. It's so so cool. Yes. Yeah, it, I, it, I wanted just, to go ahead. It, it's just chocked full of so much like cult uh, chapter cult culture. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Yes, I tried to add as much like I read Dante and I'm like, that's a lot of culture. I'm going <laughs> to add more. <laughs> yeah, like right from the trials, you also have your own awards and like it's all that kind of stuff. It, it makes it very neat. And like there's some really strong themes. Like I really like the kind of you know, the tyrannicide, the famicide, the thyroside, I forget the other ones, but like you kind of went back to these trials and pulled up these similar type things. Yes. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything I, I don't like about it. I, I don't know. I think he did a great job. Like uh, a couple of things people fall into when working with loyalist or trader gene seed, you, you dodged or you gave yourself a way out like yeah maybe call made them but really they just popped in from the warp you know yeah <laughs> oh uh hey call uh, you're making some uh primaris any uh 16th legion huh. you yeah. wanna you wanna chalk our name down there <laughs> yeah like uh, yeah. i think you did a great job kind of just yeah exploring them and taking stuff from the Luna Wolves, but also adding to it with your own unique ways. So there's this unique mix of old school Luna Wolves, but also as your own unique flair to them. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, something that I've seen, not not for like anyone that, like calling out or anyone, but people who use Trader Gene Seed, particularly like bad fan fictions, they tend to like make them too perfect or like, yeah, we're basically yeah. a Trader Legion, but we're good now. Yeah, and, and everyone else is just supposed to accept that. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like, a big deal. I would deal. go over some battles, but I decided not to because <laughs> that was already too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was long, but it was good. Like, I feel like you included useful information. Like, I, I, I feel like trimming it down, you did a great job. You said you went from 24 pages to 12. But yeah, like, I really feel like every paragraph was intentional and has a very specific purpose in the chapter. Thank you. My only regret is I don't have very good painted models with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> eh, one day, maybe. Whatever. At least they're painted, man. As long as it's not gray plastic. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, do you, Fantastic. Is there anything else you want to share about them? Um, yeah, I mentioned this to you in like DMs. I had a I had a I had a one v one with one of my friends just for fun. But I ended up actually writing it into the lore, which was uh, <laughs> my my buddy, the mad lad, the insane, the insane guy wants to run an only assassin fucking army. <laughs> Perfect. So I was well, like, now no, with I'll, six of I'll, them, I'll go, it's fine. High model yeah, count. I'll, yeah, I'll go easy on him. I'll, I'll play him. And he decimated my guy, like <laughs> one of his assassins. But he murdered like my my this guy to send in. So I was like, you know what? Fuck him. You yeah. know what I'm going to do? And I wrote like basically a battle that my guys lost, but they are like, we recovered a single drop of blood. And with this blood, we're going to get revenge. <laughs> Perfect. 
So next time I verse him, the reason we're fighting is because we he left a single drop of blood. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh man. Yeah, man, those assassins were crazy. I don't know what they're like in ninth edition, but in eighth, man, they were rocking my world and I was not enjoying it. Um, the only thing I know is that their four up invulnerable save is stupid because if I have a bolter and I shoot you and you roll a four, you're dodging a bolter at point blank range, and I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Bolters are hypersonic. <laughs> I'm gonna start raging. Yeah, well, you know, you have to pick and choose what what you want to rage against. I'll just rage against like the Tau Empire or something, you know. Leave our precious space marines and their bolters alone. For me, I'll always rage against the fucking space wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, cool well this yeah, was a fun. fun episode yeah thanks for joining me for sure um we'll have you back on uh and you you said you don't really have any other armies that you're working on their lore or anything else or um i'm i'm working on two xenos right three technically i but um one's a eldar one's a tau and one's a necron okay okay well, hopefully this put have... a little fire in your belly to write some more so you can get back on. For sure. Which do you want me to write first? <laughs> oh, uh, Drumroll, I think Eldar. I feel like I don't get enough just straight Eldar one. I get a bunch of Dark Eldar stuff, but never just Eldar. For sure. I actually have a Aspect Warrior uh, one that I'm working on. Perfect. Well, I can't All wait right. to hear it on another episode. For sure. All right. Well, thanks. On. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to support the show uh, on Patreon. You can go to Lorehammer Listen to Lore. You can throw me a buck. There's also links in the description if you want to do a one-time donation. Just throw me five bucks. It really helps the show continue to go and whatever. Uh, also, if you have lore, you can send in to lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And that is that. Thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode.